on this episode of the C4SO podcast. I think when you ask the question, what's the confusion or block to whole life discipleship? I would say the first one is a narrow view of the human yeah. and a narrow view of what being like Jesus looks like. Those, If you don't have a clear vision of those two things, right. you can't have whole life discipleship because you don't even have, you don't have a place to start. You're you're yeah. seeing discipleship through a narrowness that doesn't work. Hi, I'm Mickey Lowe. Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. And welcome, welcome to, to the C4SO, C4SO Podcast. All right, everybody, we are wrapping up our series on ordinary time. I can't believe it. I feel like time is just moving way too fast. So Bishop Todd, tell our listeners about what they can expect today. Well, Ted Harrow is a new friend of mine. He's the president of Renovari. Uh, many of you yes. will associate Renovari with Richard Foster. Uh, Ted's mm-hmm. the most recent president. But gosh, Mickey, it brought back so many flashbacks for me, having served on Richard's board and been mm, a part of that yeah. ministry team. It was a real joy to talk to Ted today. Yeah, Ted is awesome. He tells us a little bit more about the story of Renovari. And we spend a lot of time just talking about holistic discipleship to Jesus and what that looks like for us personally and communally. And so please enjoy this conversation with our new friend, Ted Harrow. Mickey, today I get to introduce you to Ted Harrow, who I don't know Ted well either. We just really met a few weeks ago, but we share a history together as Ted's the the president of Renovari. And of course, that was a a major point of my life. So Ted, meet Mickey. Mickey, meet Ted. Glad to have you, Ted. Hey, Mickey. Hey, Bishop Todd. Good to see you. And and Bishop Todd, we also have in common this whole uh, transition to the world of ACNA because uh, I'm not an ACNA member, but my my oldest son and his wife and now my new granddaughter are very active members of an ACNA church in Chicago. So, oh, nice. That's we'll, great. We'll, we'll accept you and the beloved. Okay. Yeah. There you go. You at least for this next you know few minutes. So thanks, Ted. <laughs> it's great to have you. So, Ted, you're helping us wrap up a series on ordinary time, and ordinary time in the Anglican church calendar has to do with discipleship, the colors green that points to growth and that sort of thing. And lots of our listeners will know of Renovari and its long-term vision and the kind of practical things that uh, have been produced over the years for discipleship. But not everybody will know that 35-year story. So just tell our listeners quickly, what is the story of Renovari? Well, Renovari really grew out of um, the aftermath of Richard Foster's publication of The Celebration of Discipline, which is about, I think it was 1978, so about 45 years ago or so. And uh, it was, a, I think everybody, including Richard, was was surprised at uh, how much of a splash that book made. It was one Mm -hmm. of... I believe two unsolicited manuscripts at Harper Collins that year that got published and it kind of went big. And so Richard was invited to go uh, as you know, happened then and happens now when you write a big book, you, you get invited to go speak places. And mm-hmm. um, he, he really was very skeptical of the celebrity speaker tour. And so over time he said, you know, I really want to, I want to keep um, helping people go deeper with God, but I don't want to do it by myself on the speaker circuit. So I want to create mm-hmm. A, a team, really. And, and uh, he had a very close friend <clears throat> named Dallas Willard, who I'm sure you've, you've heard of. And uh, mm-hmm. they, it just so happens that Dallas had been a member of Richard's church when he was, right. as he would call it, uh, mm. a minor ecclesial failure as a pastor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so 
Dallas, you know, he asked Dallas to join the d- team and, and the board. And Dallas said, well, I, I consider that, but only if we actually do ministry together. I don't want to come mm. sit the board that meets twice a year. So that, that whole conversation began a team of people uh, who were purposely cutting across denominational boundaries, uh, ethnic boundaries, socioeconomic boundaries, and who uh, first and foremost were a community. Mm-hmm. So we're learning to live with and love each other and, uh, and prioritizing their own relationship with each other. Uh, dispersed community. They were all over the U.S. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they were, they were wanting to, from that, see what they could do to serve the church. Right. So it became mm-hmm. really a teaching ministry in the early days. And from that community was kind of an explosion of creative output. So right. many of Dallas Willard's popular books arose from teaching he would do like in that ministry team. And they'd mm-hmm. say, you need to like write that down. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, so that began kind of an explosion of creative output. And then that, that just led to more and more of creating resources and uh, creating experiences for people to come go deeper with the, with God and with each other. Um, always connected to the historic church and yeah. always wanting to serve the church of today by bringing forward ancient practices, ancient teachings from the Christian traditions and uh, trying to, in those days, it was a big deal to break down denominational barriers. Um, I think it's, yeah. I think denominational barriers personally are, are less of a deal now than they were 30 years ago. Um, I think there's, I think most, many Christians like, Oh, you're a Christian. Great. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a different world. Sure, right yeah. now. But, but back then Del, uh, Richard had a real burden for seeing unity in the church on the most important things and mm-hmm. um, having us all learn with and from each other from across traditions. Yeah. I think when we talked a couple of weeks ago, Ted, over another matter, um, I was saying that I don't remember the years that I was on the board and on the ministry team, but it's probably 20 or more years ago. And I didn't have the wi- the wisdom eyes or the eyes wise enough to see that it was also very diverse in terms of men and women Yes. Women were hugely respected as a part of that board and ministry team. And it was highly diverse ethnically. And I enjoyed it, but I I didn't have the eyes to see that Richard had done that purposefully. Yeah. He Mm -hmm. was very intentional about that. And uh, I I asked him about that not too long ago. I said, how did you come? You know, um, some of what he did was sometimes a little controversial. He got picketed a bunch because he was, Mm -hmm. of course, he started his, you know, celebration at Distin with a, with a, a chapter on meditation, which mm-hmm. uh, especially, you know, pre mindfulness days yeah. in our culture and in the Christian subculture was seen as a little bit scandalous and a little bit, you know, kind of new agey. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Richard was very intentional about saying, I, I, I want to see the full expression of the church in all of her multifaceted expression. And he, I asked him how they ended up, for instance, with a very clear practice, if not stated conviction that men and women would equally serve in ministry. And he said, it just seemed right to us. Mm. Kind of a mm. classic Richard thing, you know, yeah. Yeah. we didn't sit down and have a big debate about it. It just seemed like it was the right thing to do for us. And so that's yeah. a lot of how things evolved in the early days of that community. Yeah. And of course we well, have then. the luxury of not having to deal with, you know, uh, formal ordination processes and that sort of stuff. We were, like you said, we were just doing life and ministry together. So it was a a little simpler. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's still part of our unique contribution to the church is that we are 
unencumbered by some of those things that that a church necessarily must deal with, we can say, well, in this space, we're going to let what we think is the first things be the first thing. And we'll, yeah. we'll set aside some things that we would otherwise potentially divide over. Well, Ted, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you became involved with the ministry? Because you are now present, <laughs> right? So tell yes, us a little that bit is about a crazy that. Crazy story. I'll give you the short story <laughs> of that. Okay. Uh, cool. So I spent the first thirty years of my my working life in the marketplace, and um, as I was very involved at a large church outside Chicago with my wife, <clears throat> we did marriage ministry, and and uh, she's a therapist, which is cool. fantastic. And she would when we did marriage ministry, she always brought the clinical relationship side to that work. And I had always Mm -hmm. been fascinated with how people change and why so few of us do. And um, so I had read pretty much, you know, much of what Dallas Willard had written. I knew, I knew Richard's work as well and others. So I would bring kind of the spiritual, what I probably didn't have the language for this 20 years ago, but the spiritual formation um, Mm -hmm. part of Mm -hmm. our partnership. And about, oh, seven or eight years ago, I, I started thinking, well, at some point in my life, I might want to quit the marketplace thing and just serve more around marriage. And I want to get a little more grounded and formally trained in in formation. And so I looked at getting a D-min in formation, and I, I don't have a theological master's. I have a master's, but not one of those. And it was going to be a seven-year run to do that. And I thought, man, I'm almost 50. This is That doesn't make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. So uh Somehow I stumbled on Renovari's Renovari Institute, which is a two-year intensive program that Renovari has mm-hmm. that kind of takes a cohort of people, 45 people from all over the world through a very intensive, um, both experiential and, and kind of reading academic process to help you learn formation from the ground up. And mm-hmm. cool. um, I, was, I was a participant. It was fantastic. It was um, a lot more than I expected, uh, a lot more value than I expected. I thought I would get some stuff that would be helpful in our marriage work, scripts that need to be rewritten and even pain that I wasn't aware I had from my church life was uh, those things were rewritten and and, um, the process of healing began. I'm not sure who knows how long any of us need for healing, but uh, I'm I'm down that road. So I was just a happy participant and going to be an alumnus. And then my predecessor announced his retirement and I, I had friends who texted me and said, you, you need to apply for this job. And I was like, what? Because my predecessor was a PhD theologian, seminary uh, you know, professor. And I was like, I am not that guy. <laughs> and uh, so I, I thought it was a joke. And then eventually I, I thought, okay, well, I'm resisting this. I'll at least pray for openness. And over six mm-hmm. months, I went from praying for openness to being open. And then eventually when the board extended me the offer, I felt like God was inviting me through the door. It wasn't like he was kicking me yeah. through the door, like you must do it, but it was an invitation. So mm. I, I'm in a very, that was almost exactly two years ago. I started, I started oh. uh, mid of February of 2022 <clears throat> and it's been, it's been an amazing adventure and a whole new world for me. And I learned a ton and hopefully I'm, I'm being helpful to some people as well. So, Ted, I don't know. You can speak for yourself if you want or if you want to try to speak for your team in the sense of just the mm-hmm. uh, discussions you guys have amongst yourselves, whether it's formal or informal. What what would you say concerns you guys today as, you know, one of the true experts in the world on discipleship? What would you say are your biggest concerns in 2024? 
Like to your point, this isn't the eighties when Richard wrote his book and yeah. this isn't the late nineties when Dallas was writing the divine conspiracy. Right. Yeah. You get to today. What are you guys thinking about? Yeah. And I don't know that I, I don't claim to have anything new about this, but I will tell you what I look at. And both, I think we, I hear this in our team and I also just notice it as a person who's in some ways coming in from the outside into this mm-hmm. full-time work is a benefit because I have, some fresh eyes, maybe. At least I did for a while. Um, I would say a couple things I'm watching. Um, one is there's this great news that there's been an explosion of work around what we now call spiritual formation. Um, it, it also concerns me a bit because that can turn into a marketplace. Mm-hmm. If we're not careful, that can turn into the next thing on the, you know, on the whole, like, what's new and hot parade mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and and we can people you know we can all get worried about marketing ourselves for our own either visibility or in a in the case of a thing i'll just speak i'm concerned about with renovare it's easy for a movement that's 35 years old to be mostly focused on perpetuating itself yeah. regardless of whether the world needs it anymore mm-hmm. and i i do think we have a, a role to play um in the future, but I keep, I keep right in the front of my mind saying um, we were, we were and have been, and Lord willing still are a movement. And as when that stops moving, (laughs) when, when God stops moving, we we should, we should get off the stage. And I get a little concerned in the whole formation world, just because there's such an explosion of interest in it now that can turn into either perpetuating yourself or finding your place and getting your voice and being promoted and getting platforms and all these things. And a little of my backstory, I didn't really talk about um, when you asked earlier, the large church I was involved with was Willow Creek Community Church outside of Chicago, a very influential church from the you know 70s, 80s, 90s, mm-hmm. maybe 2000s too, to some extent. And I, I was part of that church for 35 years. I saw it from when it was a really vibrant movement to when it started becoming more of an institution. And I'm, mm. I'm concerned about that I, when I look at um, something like the spiritual formation movement that we could get into that space. I think that's, that's the early signs of death when that happens, mm. when, when, we're, when we're a marketplace um, hawking our wares. As one of my colleagues says, we have an allergic reaction in our team about creating um, quote unquote products to, to drive revenue uh, this my, my colleague Brian will say, "Oh no, don't make us create Jesus junk." Yeah, and yeah. and I, you know we could, that could happen. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I watch for, and the, the competition that often happens, the rivalry that often happens. That when you're in a new movement like Renovari was, there was no rivalry because we were the crazy people. You know, yeah. no one wanted to be mm-hmm. us because we were getting picketed. So um, that's one thing. The other thing I I pay attention to is. I think the privatization and the kind of me orientation that I I think could creep into the discipleship and especially what we now call the spiritual formation movement. Mm -hmm. Um, John Mark Comer talked about this at a gathering in the fall at at Friends University as as, uh, being careful that that, um, this doesn't become project me. And I look at a lot of what we do around formation and a lot of the emphasis is around self-discovery and I'm all for mm-hmm. self-knowledge and self-awareness. And there's a lot around, 
you know, um, what you do in the privacy of your own heart and the privacy of your own home. And I think that formation in Christlikeness, discipleship is, it includes those things, but that isn't the center. Yeah. It's much bigger than that. And Mm -hmm. we could very easily become a, I'm going to overstate on purpose, but we could very easily become a self-obsessed, me-oriented movement of people who have the disposable income and time to go on retreats and read books and sit around for hours and talk about things. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't want to disrespect reading books, sitting with each other and talking about things, self-aware. Mm-hmm. None of those, all those things are good in of themselves, but they, yeah. they aren't the whole picture. And they have a danger of turning us in on ourselves, which is not the point. So Ted, tell us a little bit more about, and this is a great start, but let's keep talking about this. What are, what are some of the biggest confusions or blocks to, to discipleship when we're thinking holistically? So whole, whole life discipleship to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Let's keep Mm -hmm. going. Tell us more about what are some of those confusions? You just, uh, you, I think those words you just use whole life discipleship is really important. Mm. So this is where, what do we mean by whole life is, is a whole life. Does it it absolutely includes what happens in our thoughts and in our emotions. And that's wonderful. But the human person is bigger than that. It includes what we choose our will. This is I'm, I'm basically, you know, paraphrasing Dallas Willard's renovation of the heart right now. So it, you know, the human person is a very, is a multidimensional creature and, and it, and touching on all the things, including our relationships and our social context. Um, I think we, we tend to think about the human person narrowly and, and it depends on what crowd you're in on the, on which, which narrowness you have. Mm, um, and this is, this to me is one of, one of Renabari's gifts to the world is looking at the whole person through full spectrum Christ likeness. So the whole person from how you mm-hmm. think and feel and choose and how you relate to others and how that is all governed together. That's the whole person, right? God loving mm-hmm. God with all our heart, mind, soul, strength, everything. Right. And our neighbors, ourselves. That's the human person. But doing that then across the full spectrum of of um, of the Christian tradition. So being people who are comfortable with a deep personal interactive relationship with God. That's what we would call the contemplative stream at Renovari. Um, being people who are deeply concerned with lives that work, that are that are deep, believing that there is such a possibility as being a deeply good human. That's the that's the holiness stream that we talk about. That's got great roots in the Christian tradition. Being people who are deeply steeped and lovers of Scripture, knowing that there's this that there's this truth that we can um, orient our lives around the evangelical stream. People who um, are filled with the spirit. They're, they're not, they are, there's something operating in their lives and in their communities that goes well beyond what you can explain humanly, the charismatic stream, people who are deeply compassionate, especially for those who are, um, who are in some ways downtrodden, the social justice stream and people who embody all of that in the nitty gritty of life, not just in the cloister of the church, not just in the privacy of your home, but in the public square and in the, in the world out, out in the world, 
and they enact they enact their faith in their bodies and how they do things, the incarnational stream. So I think when you ask the question, what's the confusion or block to whole life discipleship? I would say the first one is a narrow view of the human yeah. and a narrow view of what being like Jesus looks like. Those, If you don't have a clear vision of those two things, right. the full, the full, unbelievable creation that God made when God made us into human beings and the, the full spectrum beauty of the life of Jesus and how that's been imperfectly, but beautifully reflected in his people over the years. Um, I think without that vision, you can have whole life discipleship because you don't even have, you don't have a place to start. You're, you're yeah. seeing discipleship through a narrowness that doesn't work. Okay, C4SO clergy, let's be honest for just a second. When's the last time you stayed in a castle surrounded by jaw-dropping scenery? Well, we're inviting you to do just that at the 2024 Clergy Retreat, April 24 through 26 at Glen Erie Castle in Colorado Springs. Our retreat facilitators, Barbara Peacock and Steve Machia, will lead us in a nourishing time of soul care, including healing prayer and reflection. There will also be good food, time for naps, hello, hiking in the Garden of the Gods, and lots of fellowship. Register today at c4so.org to join us for a beautiful, peaceful retreat with all of your C4SO friends and family. You, you would have probably agree with me that the gold standard or amongst the gold standards for understanding the process of discipleship is Willard's vision, intention, and means, oh, yes. which comes from uh, <clears throat> renovation of the heart. But let's start with the vision part. What is it that goes wrong that people don't see the right vision for uh, discipleship? And what's the remedy? I kind of want to turn that question around back on you. What do you think? <laughs> that's, oh, well, not the, but, that's not how this works, huh? <laughs> well, no, we can we can chat about it. You, I think you used the word uh, personalization or individualization. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was a young Christian, the gospel was say this prayer so that when you die, you can go to heaven. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to be unkind to anybody, um, but that that reductionism leaves no vision for life. It's just all about what happens to what you happens when, when you, you die. die. It's say right. this prayer. We, we never said say this prayer so that you could become a fully devoted follower of Jesus, you know, and right. uh, mm, in Bill's words, you know, in we, we, words, never, yeah. Yeah, we never yeah. said that. We said say this prayer so that. So when you minute, die. Yeah. The instrumentality <laughs> has to do yeah. with something when you die. Um, and Dallas always wanted to paint on a bigger canvas than that. So did Richard yes. Yes. and Peterson mm. and now and lots of other yes. people. All those yeah, um, yeah. teachers. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. why do you think the emphasis on vision and, you know, what have you picked up uh, about it over the years? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think, I think this is, this is what's really challenging is that you're, what you just articulated there is a, um, a limited view of the gospel. And I, I don't, I remember very clearly a night I was with a men's group and I asked something about the gospel. I forget what it was. And one of the guys said, I'm just here. Uh, uh, I, I'm going to heaven and I'm just trying to take as many people as I can with me, which as far as it goes is really great, except that it leaves very little vision for the kind of person we're becoming. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. uh, I, you know, when, when we do our marriage work, Gretchen and I will sometimes talk about how marriage is 
a great laboratory for your soul. And, and I'll talk about how one of the primary things I think God uses marriage for in the lives of those who are married. And if people aren't married, there's other ways God will work, of course. But it's to help you become the kind of person who will actually be at home when you get to heaven. Yeah. Um, because, yeah. you know, if, if you go straight there without passing go, I mean, I, I'm sure God will work it out. Like, God's a good guy. <laughs> but but um, but it reminds me of, of, you know, Lewis's work in The Great Divorce where – you know, there's there's some work to do before you're going to be really want you're going to really want to be in heaven, and so I I mm-hmm. think I think yes, what you said, Bishop Todd, about the reductionism of the gospel is really big. It's it's saying that um, if there if we have a vision of of our lives as being in a process of redemption and that of our mission as being part of making this broken world, a place where God's way is shining forth in front of people and is, Mm -hmm. and is redeeming and transforming the world ultimately will be done through the power of God in, in the final days. Right. But, but um, I think it's really important that we have a bigger vision of what our role is and what God is wanting to do in us, between us and through us. And if our if our vision is either reduced reduced to our own personal uh, going to heaven, or on the other side, if our if our vision is just making the world a better place, and mm-hmm. and our own um, to use an old fashioned word, sanctification is right. irrelevant. Well, you you, just, you don't have the whole picture, and whenever right. you only have mm-hmm. part of the picture, uh, bad things happen. You know, yeah. so you know the the remedy. Of course, uh, you asked the question, what's the remedy to this? Well, of course, the remedy is to proclaim the the broad message, the big vision mm-hmm. that is demonstrated and taught through Scripture and through God's people over the, over the millennia. It's probably, I think, in our day, even more important to, to live it and model it and demonstrate mm-hmm. it. Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It is really hard for, you know, I come from a from the kind of a, the classical evangelical tradition, mm-hmm. and if you go to a, a a church that is teaching what you just described as the gospel, which again is not wrong, it's just not complete. It mm-hmm. is true that when, that Jesus died, so that we will go to heaven. It's just not the whole story, right? Right. It's, and if if you go if you go to, say to um, pastors or lay leaders in in classically evangelical churches that they have the gospel incomplete, you're going to have a fight in your hands um, because that's the one thing that, that um, we think we understand in that world. And mm-hmm. so I think part of it is, is um, patiently asking questions, being with people, living it out with people, um, helping people when they, when they hit the limits of whatever incomplete gospel they're believing to see that there is another alternative that is faithful to scripture, faithful to God's people and is actually um, very helpful to our lives. So let's continue. What about the I in the VIM? What is intentionality? Tell us more about that, Ted. Well, so it's great to have a vision. Like I have a vision of being, I could have a vision of, uh, I'll actually give you one. I, I, there's a, I'm in Mount Tanner right now, and there's a mountain range outside my window called the Bridger Range. 
And there's a trail that, that actually goes across that range that you can do in a day. In fact, you kind of have to do it in a day because it's, <clears throat> there's no water up there at all. So it's 20 some miles long with, I think, probably 15 to 20,000 vertical. It's a crazy vertical up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a vision of doing that. Okay, great. I, I would like to do that in a day, maybe next summer. <laughs> um, there is no way I'm doing that. If I don't have intentionality, if I don't mm-hmm. actually say I'm going to become the kind of person I, I'm choosing yeah. to orient my life. That's how I think about intentionality. Mm-hmm. It's turning yeah. my life Great. in mm-hmm. a particular mm-hmm. direction. Um, yeah. I'm actually quite unimpressed with the power of the human will, at least mine. If, if mm-hmm. you know, cookies beat my will every day. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so I, I'm not very impressed with, the, with my will. But the one thing my will can do is to turn and surrender. If I can, so if I can say, I'm going to turn in that way and surrender in this case to probably someone who's going to help me train to do that, to do that, um, that event. Okay. Then that's one thing I can do, but there's a moment it's, you know, I've been married 35 years. There was a moment of intentionality, um, on uh, December 31st of 1988 where, where I said, okay, I'm going to turn my little will towards saying I am to the best of my ability going to live my life with you, Gretchen. Mm -hmm. So intentionality is the, the, the small use, the, 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 uh, realistic use of our tiny human will to turn Mm -hmm. towards in this case, God and his vision. And to say, I want to be that come that kind of person. I don't just see it. I am now choosing to orient my life in that way. I'm not going to live my life by accident. I'm going to yeah. live it on purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And hearing you talk about it in that way, Ted, reminds me of James K. Smith's work over the last five or six, seven years. Um, it, you know, I, I'll just never forget reading that sentence of his, uh, you are what you love yeah. and you may not love what you think you do. <laughs> yes. And so we find mm-hmm. out that we actually love cookies more than we love that that hike you're talking about yes and that a problem well let's get to the root of what you really do desire what is it that right. you really love and let's yeah. just deal candidly with that non-judgmentally but just candidly no well, yeah clinically i mean it's, it's yeah. basically saying let's just be this is the thing about you know religious people don't usually have the reputation of being ruthlessly truthful yeah but but that's what we ought to be like we we yeah. are we are yeah. better equipped to deal with reality as followers of jesus than anybody because because he actually is the master of reality. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, long before Dallas was asking us to, and James K. Smith and others were asking us to notice what we really love. uh, You know, Jesus gave the parable of the treasure buried in the field and the pearl of great price, which was precisely a pearl about what is it that you actually desire? Do you, do you desire the kingdom the way you would desire the world's greatest pearl? If you were a pearl merchant and those are precisely parables on desire longing yes you know, the bent of our will etc yeah and intentionality yes that, that, exactly. i mean when i go sell everything and buy the field yeah i've i've oriented my life towards getting that pearl yeah and you're right we can't actually make sustained good progress in life in the kingdom without that vision of the good life. And we don't have time to get into that, but anybody who's listened to Dallas knows what I'm referring to here, his vision of the good life. What's the true, the good, the beautiful, you know, what, what's that really mean? And then intending to pursue it. And then the M uh, in V I M stood for means. 
Yeah. So talk a bit about that. How was, how is means um, the last and not the first? Cause you know, I've spent my whole <laughs> life supervising being a pastor and supervising pastors for 40 some years. And we've all made the mistake of like, you know, trying to shove the latest tool, the latest book, the latest video, whatever, you yeah. know, uh, YouTube thing now, you know, trying to shove that down people's throats, so to speak. Um, and it just never works. You know, why is that? Tell us about the magic of means in, in, in the, in that, uh, paradigm of VIM. Well, means are, means are the, um, the everyday things we do to actually become the kind of person who can live out our vision. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. And yeah. um, w- why do they not work on their own? It's, and of course it's very easy to, to like means um, because they're tangible yeah, and they're behavioral, mm, yeah. but without the vision and without the orienting of your life towards that vision, means are going to become behavior modification yeah. And, um, and they're going to become, uh, you know, you're going to become a religious person who, yeah. who, yeah, you know, yeah. who does a lot of things and, but you're not really, you're, you're and you probably will end up becoming, you know, I, I, I have the image in my head of, of being somebody who goes to the all you can eat buffet and just going from thing to thing to thing, you'll go from means to means to means, but there's mm. no unifying coherent vision that you're, yeah. that you're moving toward. Right. Means means are simply they are just simply the things that we have to kind of um, uh, customize for each of us yeah. to mm-hmm. actually become the kind of person who can who can be what we are, our vision is. So if I want to yeah. do that mountain range, I have to become the kind of person over time through practice who can yeah. do it. And they're yeah, and they're they're gritty. You know that the the best means are very very. They're very applied to the thing that we need to get better at. Yeah. If you need more strength in your legs, you do leg work. You know, that's, that's what yeah. you do. Right. And most mm-hmm. means yeah. are best done where no, nobody really knows you're doing them. Yeah. You know, they're, they're private, they're quiet. You'll do some things in public. Of course, there are things that are communal means, mm-hmm. but you're not doing to impress anybody. Right. You know you're making progress, becoming like Jesus, when you're not actually thinking about yourself that much. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. That's and, or, what, and so, or what others think of you, or whatever, whatever they yeah. think of you, which means I have a long that's way to good. go. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, that's <laughs> the problem with focusing on means first is that we we just fall in the trap mm-hmm. of of um, performing our way to a new thing when, in fact, the means are. I see these means as the way that we just open our, the door of our lives a crack. Yeah. And then we, we just pray that God will come in and do yeah. what only he can do because the means don't do anything by themselves. They just right. open right. us yeah. towards what God will do. And if he doesn't do it, the means are a waste of time anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we, yeah. we are, it's a partnership with God where he's doing all of the hard work. All we're doing through means is saying, um, as much as I'm aware of anything, God, I'm aware that I need to grow in this aspect of who I am so I can actually be the kind of person on the inside who shows up in a different way on the outside. And I'm yeah. asking you through my, my terribly feeble little attempts at these means to do what only you can do. And then something beautiful might happen. Yeah. Amen, Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Well said. 
what should the interplay between the personal and the communal slash church be? What is what do you think that looks like? Except in very rare cases, they're inextricable. Mm-hmm. And I'll I'll say why. We we have to do things personally. God will not, generally speaking, I mean, he, he occasionally he will do this, but God will generally not um, wave a magic wand and have us change without our personal engagement. And a lot mm. of those things will happen in the in the privacy of our own of our own uh, walking with God, because mm-hmm. walking with Jesus is a very is an intensely personal experience. He's He's always at work with us in ways that um, are idiosyncratic to us in our time, in our in our um, our own personal history, in the history of our world. Right. So there's there's this very very personal thing going on. So the communal is super important for a couple of very practical reasons. The first being that I lie to myself all the time. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And um, both both we do that both to uh, flatter myself and to criticize myself. Mm -hmm. The one thing I'm convinced about humans is that we don't see ourselves very well. So if all we do is personal, we are, we are looking at the world and at ourselves through a warped glass and we're we're going to have terrible things happen. Mm -hmm. So, so so getting, getting the communal input on what God is doing in my life and through my life and, uh, where I have made progress and where I have work to do is vitally important to my own sanctification. But I would I wouldn't stop there. Um, it's also the laboratory within which God's going to work with me. Because you know, yeah. if I'm not in a church, I'm not going to. If I'm by myself, um, I will annoy myself a lot. But I will <laughs> I will avoid the situations where others annoy me. And those are exactly the places where I probably need to be at work, where, where right. you know, I need to learn, oh, that's actually poking something in me that I need to grow in. And mm. so, um, yeah. and then the third thing, so if, if I had three things why communal is so important, it would be for discernment of the voice of God. Um, yeah. It when, when I'm listening to God, it's very important that I bring that back to my friends and I talk about it with them. And Gretchen is my primary friend, my wife, um, but I have others that I'm very involved with. I have a spiritual director that I, I uh, meet with regularly. That's really important because otherwise mm-hmm. we'll decide all, that God is telling us all kinds of crazy stuff. And yeah. Um, yeah. that the world is, the, his, the history of the world and our current world is are full of people who think God is telling them to do things that God most patently is not telling them to do. And so, <laughs> you know, the, the, yeah. the communal being a place where we can, of course, engage in communal worship and um, interact with each other and sharpen each other and see each other better. There's, there's, if you're going to become more and more the kind of person who can easily live your life the way Jesus would, hmm. I, I don't know how you do that alone. Unless right. you're in solitary confinement and then God will work with you somehow because God does. But that's the exception. The rule yeah. is you're in community and you're, yeah. you're, um, you're helping each other and you're loving each other. Right. And you have to be tethered 
someplace to somewhere. Yes. And, and, and as a, you know, as a leader, one of the leaders in my church, I like our greatest hopes are for people to have the, the vision and intentionality, but also help them with the means too of, uh, accomplishing this whole life discipleship to Jesus. Like my greatest hope for people who come to our church plan is that they'll experience Christ, that they will develop a sense of community. And as mm-hmm. a result of what God is doing in their lives and what God is doing in our church, that they will experience like this, this wholeness that can only be found in Jesus. But we, we need one another for that. Um, you know, we need yeah. this community of people to help us see, you know, things for what they are. So, well, when, one of our favorite teachers at Renovari is a guy named Trevor Hudson, who's a South African pastor. And Trevor always says, there is no such thing as a solo deal when you follow Jesus because he always brings his friends. Yeah. So true. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. he, and he always smiles when he says that. And he says, cause, and some of those friends can be awkward. And unruly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. So true. And you said something really important there, Mickey. You used the word tethered. Mm-hmm. Um, this is another concern I have about the whole discipleship and formation, about the church in America right now, I think, especially um, in our younger generations, for very good reason, understandable reasons. There's a, a deep distrust of institutions and leaders the untethering of our life with God from the history of the church makes me concerned. Um, We are part of a long thread. And so being part of a community like yours and like the one I'm part of is very important to not just keep us tethered to each other in the current day, but to keep us anchored in what God has been doing for thousands of years. Right. And not to think that somehow we're now we've been airdropped into yeah. something totally different. Uh, yeah. No, not really. So true. You know, it feels to me like 2024 is going to be a particular sort of year. <laughs> um, I, I, yes. suppose, I suppose we could say that about a lot of years, but it feels like we've got a very interesting next 10 months coming uh, yeah. in this election cycle. Um, But I I want you to marry that together with this deep, rich, three and a half decade um, contribution that Renovari's made. I mean, we didn't talk about it today, but I mean, I hold, I treasure Renovari in my heart for a lot of reasons, um, personal, relational, lots of other things. But wow, Ted, there's a big body of literature there that you guys have been responsible for Mm -hmm. over the last, you know, 30 some years. So if you think of our current state and you think of those amazing Renovari resources, what comes to your mind that you would say to our readers, hey, maybe you should access this. It might really help us uh, get through you know, 2024. Does anything come to your mind? And then tell, tell our uh, listeners where to get it. I'm sure your listeners will be familiar with Dallas Willard's work. The, the couple that are that pop to mind would be, of course, the divine conspiracy, which I think yeah. is his magnum opus yeah. um, and yeah. talks a lot about the gospel and about um, discipleship, renovation of the heart. Wonderful. Um, it's the book. I, I take my I take notes on books longhand and carry them yeah. in my journal. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the it's the uh, the outline that I have carried in my journal uh, the longest in my whole life is that one. Wow. 
Um, and then I would say, you know, uh, I think actually some of the work that was done, published by his family after Dallas's death, The Allure of Gentleness, is actually yeah. is actually a very interesting one for where we are right now as a culture, where Dallas talks about um, how you interact with people in the way and manner of Jesus. Uh, Michael Ware, who you may know of, who's yeah. just published a book mm-hmm. called Spirit of Disciplines. Spirit of Our Politics. I'm sorry, Spirit of Politics, yes. Spirit yeah. of Disciplines would be Dallas Willard. Thank you yeah. for that correction. <laughs> um, yeah, so Michael Michael is really applying Dallas's work to, yeah. to the political arena I and really yeah. making the argument that how you show up in the way and manner of Jesus is is more important than who you vote for. Um, yeah. it's, it's how you show up. So I would say those things are great. I, I really couldn't recommend more. If I had to, if I, as, as wonderful as celebration of discipline is, as Richard, Richard Foster's kind of first and seminal work, I think his work on uh, streams of living water, yeah, which is too. really, really outlining. Uh, I mentioned those kind of great traditions yeah. of the Christian faith. I, I that book is, is uh, I think going to be one of the greatest. Kind of, I've said this to Richard, so if, if he listens, he won't be surprised. I think it's the most important book he wrote. Yeah. Um, and it it is a way to help cast a vision. He was doing it really at the time about denominationalism. I see right. it as six core um, dimensions of someone who really yeah. is like Jesus. Yeah. And a community yeah. who's really like Jesus. Yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I'll say is that um, on our team recently, we've been. Uh, we have this run of our Institute uh, program that really tries to consolidate all those things down and deliver them in two years. And about a, uh, six months ago, we released an online course that's free to the world called from the inside out. It's essentially some of the core uh, teachings of the first year of the run of our Institute dealing yes. with little questions like who is God and right. what's the gospel mm-hmm. and can we really change um, in 15 minute just brilliantly taught 15 minute introductory level treatment of those great topics that Carolyn Aaron's our, our director of education does. And that's free to the world. It's on our website at runavari.org. Um, cool. You can download, you can download it, use it in groups. Um, those are, those are some resources that points you to. Yeah. There are many you. more, but those are good starting points. Yeah. And maybe I'm thinking of our listeners, uh, go to renovari.org and, um, and look at streams and, maybe pick the stream that you feel like would really speak to you this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you might, you know, you, you would benefit by reading the whole book, but if you just go look at the streams and uh, I think there's um, little blurbs uh, after on each uh, chapter, if I'm remembering the table of contents, right. Yeah. You'll get a, you'll get a little uh, hint of what they're about. I think that might be a great place for our listeners to start. So go to renovari.org, look at Streams of Living Water. And if you don't feel like you can read the whole book in the next few weeks or months, maybe just pick (laughs) the one chapter that that you feel led. Let me go farther than that, Bishop Todd. Do not read the the book in the next couple of weeks. Please don't. (laughs) This this stuff is all designed to be chewed thoroughly. Yeah, for sure. And what I would, I would agree with you, pick one stream, maybe that you feel is really at home for you and you can enjoy swimming in one of your, in your home stream, but then also pick one that you go, that one feels uncomfortable. Uh, That's great advice, Ted. Yeah. And chew them both. uh, Maybe take them in turn. And Mm -hmm. I would say take six months with them. Yeah. Each don't go quickly. Yeah. Uh, spiritual formation is the slowest of all human movements, as one of our teachers mm-hmm. says. 
Yeah. And um, darn it. Yeah, I know. I mean, I've been. <laughs> I mean, I've, I can't just. I, I, I'm wait a recovering to die and go to heaven. I have to do the slow work of living and <laughs> you becoming you holy to, and all that. You get to do the slow work of living. That's the great part. <laughs> yeah, of it. If yeah. you get off the treadmill and you get to That's say, right. "Oh, I'm just this is my next moment in eternity right now." That's all it is. Mm, so true. Yeah. Amen. Ted, thanks Amen. so much. Um, Thank it's you. really a delight to have you, and uh, thanks for the wisdom you've shared with our listeners today. We really appreciate it. Can I say one thing to your listeners? You can, please. Yes. Those of you who are, uh, I, mo- I imagine many of you are involved in church leadership. For the first of all, I want to say from the board and leadership at Renovari, we, we are for you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And uh, we don't want to go around you. Mm-hmm. We want to work with you. Yeah. And we just are starting in a whole um, very interesting season of um, ministry because we we won a, a grant through the Lilly Endowment and mm-hmm. we're we're going to start um, for anybody who is hungry to go deep with God and deep with each other in these kind of broad ways across the spectrum of of Christ likeness and deeper mm-hmm. with God and you want to be with other churches who are like minded about that um, we'd love to help connect people together and I love what your diocese is doing. Um, and uh, if we can help connect across different faith streams, uh, Christian faith traditions, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. we'd be yeah. happy to do that. So, but I, you know, I really want you to know is we're for you. Yeah, thank you, Ted. Thank you, Ted. Thanks so much for tuning in to the C4SO podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this episode and subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to get the word out. Thanks.